0: Good evening. Don't sound so excited. I'm so glad y'all are here tonight. I hope you're having a great day, a great week. I uh, hope everything is going really, really well with you. We're, a lot of our schools are back in session. We started back steak finger night tonight. I hope you got uh, supper. It was fantastic. I love it when we're meeting back together. Um, It's starting off a great, great school year, and we are so thankful, so thankful that you are here tonight. If you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and open them with me to John chapter 5 tonight. Uh, John chapter 5, we're just going to be in verses 39 through 47 tonight, but while you're turning there, just to catch you up, some of you may be brand new with us tonight. We're thrilled that you're here. On Wednesday nights, we're doing a series, and it's titled Written in Red, and so we're looking at... What in many Bibles are the red letters, and the red letters in your Bible are the words of Jesus, the words that Jesus spoke. So we're walking through and looking specifically in Scripture uh, at the words that Jesus spoke. So tonight, we're going to talk just a little while. We've been talking, as you know, on Sundays, we've been walking through the life of Moses. And when you walk through the life of Moses, you have to obviously look at the law of God, and we've spent a lot of time talking about that. So tonight specifically, when we look at John chapter 5, I want us to look for just a little while tonight at what Jesus had specifically to say about the law and the role of the law and what the law of Moses actually was meant to accomplish and does accomplish and how we are, how we are to look at that and how we are to understand that. But before we jump right in, uh, I saw a stat the other day. And I thought this was fascinating. Um, How many people in here have been to the Grand Canyon? Got a few? Pretty awe-inspiring, incredible visual. Um, I actually believe it's one of the greatest proofs that there is of a global flood. Uh, If you spend any time studying that, the geology of, of that that goes with that. But if you go to the Grand Canyon, it's fascinating to me that a large percentage of the deaths that take place at the Grand Canyon are because people don't stay behind the warning signs. We put a sign, we put a rail, and yet people go past the signs, they go past the rails, and they fall off the side of the Grand Canyon. Now, if any of your relatives passed away at the Grand Canyon, then I wanna go ahead and apologize to you for what I'm about to say. But if you are dumb enough to go past a sign, climb over a fence, and and fall into the Grand Canyon, you probably didn't need to have children anyway. We probably are better off without you continuing on the species. But when you think about that, if you think about... That's not hard to believe. That's not a stretch. Because when I said that, some of you smiled, but most of you kind of nodded. You're like, yeah, I know people that would do that. I've, I've got, I, I teach kids that would do that. I, I know people absolutely that would do that. And it's amazing the amount of warning signs that you have, that you see. The warning signs on things are unbelievable. Have you noticed how much stuff that they have to write not for human consumption? Who tries to eat a tennis ball? That's own a pack, not for human consumption. Somebody evidently tried to eat a tennis ball, so they put it, put it on, the, on the outside. I opened some, some medicine the other day, and I was shaking out the medicine, and it had one of the little silicon packs, you know, that, that in there to, to keep the moisture out. And, and so when it came out, I looked at it before I threw it away, and when I looked at it, it said, do not swallow. And I thought, somebody pours pills into their hand and thinks, hey, while I'm taking these Tylenol, why don't I just swallow this silicon dioxide pack too? So you have to put that kind of warning. That's the world. That's the world that we live in. Most of the time, you can warn people about things, and that makes no difference of whether or not they're actually going to follow the instruction. As you open up to to John chapter 5 specifically, I want to give you a little background because um, everyone that Jesus was speaking to would have understood this. Uh, does everybody have a listening sheet tonight? Did you, everybody get it? We've got a few extra uh, if anybody needs one. Anybody need a listening sheet? Y'all good? It's fantastic. Good job, Will. Uh, um, fantastic. I, I'm, so in the Old Testament, when a crime was committed, the justice system, the way that, the, the, the way that you went in court or you went in front of court was that the suspects were tried at the city gate and two eyewitnesses were required to convict someone. So if you read all of John chapter 5 and especially if you started in verse 33 we're we're going to go a little further down than that but if you started in John chapter 5 verse 33 what Jesus is actually doing is talking about that if you were to talk about Jesus as the Messiah that there are witnesses that absolutely show that it is undoubtable that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And so it's almost, if you read it, to to think about it this way, that Jesus is calling witnesses to prove who He is undoubtedly. And the first witness, if you were to to read through it in verses 33 through 35 of John 5, He talks about John the Baptist and the, the witness of John the Baptist. And then in verse 36, He talks about the miracles that are performed, that those ought to be a testimony. So we have the witness of John the Baptist, the witness of the miracles performed, and then in verses 37 and 38, he talks about the eyewitness of the Father because the Father has given witness to who Jesus is. Do you remember when... When the Father gave witness to who Jesus was, you remember? There's two times in Scripture, but one that every one of them would have known about. The transfiguration, not everyone would have known about because he was on the mount. But there was another time when publicly everyone would have heard what God the Father thought about Jesus. When was that? At his baptism. This is what? What did he say about Jesus? This is my whom I love and I am well pleased, right? That's, pretty, that's a pretty good witness to call. So we've got the last Old Testament prophet, who's John the Baptist. We have Jesus' own miracles, and then we have the witness of God Himself, and then He gets to the witness of Scripture. And because we're limited on time tonight, we're going to focus specifically on the witness of Scripture, verses 39 through 47, the witness of Scripture about the person and work of Christ. So let's read together tonight. We're going to start in John chapter 5. We're going to jump right in um, to verse 39 and read through verse 47 together. "'You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts.' I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me, but if someone else comes in my own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? That's about as in your face as you're going to read a passage about Jesus directly calling out people that do not believe in him. Why is it that people don't believe in Christ? And specifically tonight, we're going to look at why people don't believe what the scripture says about Christ. And so let's jump right in. There's three things tonight that we're going to spend some time talking about. And the first is the problem of approach. The problem of approach, and you see that on your notes there, Um I, let me ask you guys something, and because we do this in the fall, so I'm, this, this is going to be the audience participation part of the show. On Wednesday nights, I provide y'all with a lot of notes. I try to keep it to one page, but I provide you with a lot of notes. Would you rather have a more detailed outline like this, or would you rather me give you a skeleton outline to make you take more notes? Okay. All right, I had somebody say skeleton, the rest of you are lazy. That's awesome. All right, so I'll keep doing, I'll keep, I'll keep doing what, what I'm doing. That's, that's awesome. All right, so let's talk about that tonight for just a little bit, the problem of approach. This was a group of people that were superstitious about the word. They never got past the actual paper and ink when they looked at or studied the Old Testament. They gave letters and words numerical equivalents, making equations out of them. So they would take certain letters of words, and they would say that a word was, cert, was specifically holy if the word added up to a number that they believed to be holy. Now, if I'm blowing your mind because that sounds complicated, it should blow your mind because it's ridiculous. So they would take a word and add it up, and if it came to a number that they believed to be a, a holy number, then that would all of a sudden take precedence over the actual meaning of the word. You say, well, that's ridiculous. That's Da Vinci Code sounding stuff. Right. That's not, even now, what we see is that there are a lot of people that would rather look at the superstitions about Scripture and rather come up with fanciful interpretations than they had the real Word. In fact, sometimes you'll hear people say, I've heard at times people teaching and say, now you're not going to hear this anywhere else. Well, then don't hear it there leave or if they'll say now no other pastor has ever explained it like this well chances are you're probably wrong well now you have to have a secret code i had to have a special vision you have to have an original insight Most of the time, when people approach the word superstitiously, they also approach approach it in error. And the reason is, is because God is not a God of confusion, and He wrote the Bible to be understood. I'm not saying it's not hard to understand sometimes, but He did not write it in a code so that you would somehow have to have some type of elite superstitious training to be able to understand it. One of the reasons that oftentimes people don't understand the Bible is because when they open it, they don't expect to understand it. And if you open the Bible and expect, well, I'm not going to get this, I'm not going to understand it, oftentimes you won't. But before we ever get into Bible study, we ought to have the belief that we can understand it that god wants us to understand it the holy spirit is going to help us to understand it and that yes we enjoy having teachers and pastors and commentators and all of those things that can help us and those are great but one of the reasons that there was ever a protestant reformation in the first place when Martin Luther and the 95 Theses and everything that went with that is because there was an elite group of priests that told the people they didn't need to read the Bible because you couldn't understand it unless a priest interpreted it for you. One thing about the Reformation that we are so thankful for is that we know that we are thankful for Bible teachers, but the Bible is meant to be understood and read. And so Jesus is telling them in these first couple of verses when he looks at them and just simply said, you study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life, but they testify about me and you're missing that. So real quickly, if you study scripture and Jesus does not come off of the pages of your study, you're missing the point. It's much of the reason why sometimes I think the Old Testament can be difficult, because so often if we're not careful, we don't understand that every word of the Old Testament actually points to the person and work of Jesus. You say, well, we've been studying Moses. I hope that every week studying Moses, you have seen how every one of the narratives, every bit of the law... All of it points to the person and work of Christ. From every ceremony to everything that was done, it points there. So, the danger on one hand that you've got is people that totally ignore Scripture, that they, they just, it has no place in their life. Um, I'll tell you this and had a conversation actually yesterday. Uh, one of my son well, I was going to say one of my sons, but I only got one. I was going to say one of my kids. Now y'all know which one I'm talking about. Um, he gets in the truck, we're headed to a softball game. I said, hey, bud, I said, your Bible's been in my back seat since Sunday. I said, uh, you been reading it? And he looked right at me and he said, uh, he pulled out his phone. And he said, I've got the app. And I said, okay. I said, I said, well, have you been reading that? I'm not going to have a huge con- like whether it came out of leather bound, o- we're not going to fight that at 14. I said, well, have you been reading that? He said, I'm on a two day streak because um, it tells you how. I said, I said, really? I said, well, that's awesome. I said, what have you been reading? He said, he said, I'm reading Proverbs. I said, well, that's great. I said, he said, I'm reading a chapter a day. I said, okay. And this is how, and and I actually went and found Chris Wells because I wanted him to know this tonight because sometimes we don't think kids are listening. He said, my Sunday school teacher told me Sunday how there's 31 chapters in Proverbs and you can read a chapter a day and you can read it for the day of whatever day of the the month it is and you can read that. So I figure I'm going to try that for a while. And I was so, I was just so, I was like, that's, that's great. That's fantastic. You're reading your Bible. You're not, you heard something in Sunday school. You listened to something in Sunday school. You applied something in Sunday school. And you got to talk back to me. It seems like it's been a great, you know, a great day all the way around, right? right? And so, and the reason I share that with you is, I think sometimes that the one grave danger is that we just ignore the Bible for whatever reason. Either you don't want to be convicted by it or you don't think you have time or you don't think you'll understand it or whatever it is. But the other side is that people get so caught up in the minutia and debate over parts of the Bible that they miss the whole meaning. I was preaching Monday night at a church outside outside of Liberty. I preached a revival service and... Um, so I'm waiting on the service to start. We, we, they, we had a little supper, and they had about 30 minutes for it, it was going to start. So I'm hanging around waiting, and um, a lady came up to me, and she said, Oh, I'm so glad we've got some time. And I thought, Oh, no. Oh, no. And I, uh, she said... I've been needing somebody to clear something. I've never met this lady. I've been needing somebody to clear something up for me, and you just, I, I think you can do it. And I said, well, I think you've got more confidence in me than I do, and I hadn't even heard the question yet. And she said, no. She said, uh, I've just been wondering, would you explain Calvinism to me? I said, no, ma'am. Uh, no, 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 no. I said, do you have, so, so I asked her, I said, I said, Let me ask, how about this? I said, why don't you ask me a specific qu- do you Is there a specific question she had that you have? She said, well, yeah. She said, I can't figure it out. I said, me either. I said, what part are you having trouble with? She said, well, I'm having trouble with, like, the, 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 the Bible teaches free will, but the Bible also talks a lot about, like, election and sovereignty and predestination. And I said, that's right. I said, it doesn't sound like you have a problem. She said, I don't understand. I said, I don't either. I'm walking her down. I, I, and she said, I said, I, I said you just told me that the Bible teaches the free will of man. It does. And then you told me that the Bible teaches election and predestination. It does. So you don't have a problem believing either one of those? She said, well, I know the Bible teaches both. And I said, well, what is the, so what is the problem? She said, I don't know how those two things go together. I said, I don't either. I said, but I'm positive that God elects sovereignly, and I'm positive that that man has free will. So I told her, I said, can I tell you something else I don't understand? She said, what? I said, I don't know how God made a rabbit. I don't. I, I don't understand that. Now, when I give you that example, that's a real life. That happened less than 48 hours ago. And it's not a wrong question that she's asking, but sometimes when people start down certain roads, there's nothing wrong with spiritual debate. There's nothing wrong with asking hard questions, but here's when there's something wrong. When you care more about the argument and more about the debate, than you would do at the truth of the bottom of it. You, you, you see what? So we're going to get into all of these arguments sometimes that are absolutely out of bounds, And here's what I think that a lot of people sometimes they miss actually being obedient to the part that they do understand because they're spending more time getting caught up in other issues. And so sometimes we need to understand instead of bringing our own debates or preconceived notions into Scripture that we allow the Scripture to speak for itself. And that's what Jesus is talking to this group about. So He talks about their problem of approach, but then He also talks about their problem of motive. The problem of motive. Look, Look at verse 41. Jesus says I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not love God in your hearts. You don't have the love of God in your hearts. That's about as straight up as you can get. You don't have the love of God in you. I've come in my father's name and you don't accept me. But if someone else came in my name in in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? The problem of motive. Human beings obviously love to be honored, but Jesus refused to seek honor from men. His goal in being here was not the praise of men, but to honor His Father to be obedient to God. So these men wanted fame, they wanted position, but they were lost because they missed the whole heart of the message. They never really understood that the message of the gospel about the greatest being the least. And so I I thought about it because even this week, um, a lot of you had the opportunity. If you weren't here Sunday night, it was fantastic. Didn't the kids do a great job? I love preschoolers, man. I I I, I love preschoolers. You no know, guile in them. They're just they're up there. They're they're having a blast. Every one of them thinks they can sing. They're I mean they're ripping it out, hollering at the top of their lungs. And so you watch them, and they get up here. and And I like what Bradley did Sunday night. He said find your mom and dad, find your grandparents, and go ahead and wave. Like, go ahead and be recognized. Know that we see you, that we love you, that we think you're incredible. And so I thought, I, I thought, well, that's great, but there's going to be a few of them that ain't enough. And I was dead right, because if you watch, there were a few of them, and I'm talking about breaking out like elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist. I mean, they're doing the whole, they're waving and, and smiling, and The whole part of it is we're up here, but I want to make sure that you see me. I want credit. And when they come off of there, they want you, they have no qualms about wanting to be told that they're wonderful. You did great. You're awesome. You're wonderful. You sang so pretty. I think it's great. None of you looked at those kids and said, you are tone deaf. I don't know why you got up there. I've never heard anything that bad in my life. Even if they were terrible, you lied to those children and you told them that they were great and they were wonderful and all the things that went with that and as I I thought about that when they're trying to find it they want to see all is fine as long as they have been seen and somebody's expressed their pride in them but what Jesus is saying is that there's a whole lot of people 2,000 years ago and now who are spending all of their time looking for a different audience to be able to to give them praise and give them honor and give them glory and we need to be worried about an audience of one. At the time of the, the New Testament was written, there were, had been at least 63 different messianic claims, all of which attracted followers. So in other, in other words, at least 63 people showed up in the first century and said, I'm the Christ. And every one of them gained a following. You say, oh, how could that be? That's still happening now. Cults are being led all of the time by people announcing that they're the second coming of Christ, and people are following, and people are are going down this road. And even some of these religious leaders had followed some of them, and the reason was, was because some of these leaders would step onto the scene, and they would promise people what they wanted. So if you promise people political power or material benefit, deliverance from Rome, all of a sudden these people were on the bandwagon. Which is why it's so surprising to me why if we were even remotely biblically literate that we would allow many of the false prophets in that we do today when they promise the exact same thing that the 63 false messiahs promised in the first century. Hey, if you follow me, you're going to be rich. If you follow me, you're going to be free. If you follow me, all of your dreams are going to come true. That is the exact same thing as the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel. It's not new. So we see it that Jesus is saying that the people's biggest problem that they have in that arena is the problem of mo- of motive. Jesus offers a cross, and when he offers a cross, it turns people away. And then we get to the issue of Moses. We've been studying the life of Moses And it's number three, the problem of understanding. But do not think, I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. Now, that may seem like an odd verse of Scripture. How is Moses accusing these people? Well, as we've been studying the life of Moses, what does Moses represent in the Old Testament? He went up on the mountain and received the law or the ten commandments so when it says that moses is your accuser jesus is saying i'm not going to have to accuse you before god the law is going to be the one that accuses you so you're going to stand guilty because you are thinking that it is by moses you're saved when it's actually by moses you're damned Now, how could somebody think that they are saved by Moses or the law of Moses and yet be damned by the law of Moses? You say, I I don't understand that. Yes, you do. It's the exact same thing today. I've mentioned this to you a thousand times. You ask a hundred people if they're going to heaven, 99 are going to tell you they believe they are. And over 90 of those people, if you ask them why... Why they think they're going to heaven, they're going to tell you about things that they've done, things, good things that they've done, or they're not terrible or in comparison with other people. And any time they answer like that, they're saying they hope to be saved by the law of Moses. So, how do you equate that? Any time somebody starts listening their goodness, they are saying, I believe I have done enough to earn my way to heaven, the law of Moses was never put into effect to give you a checklist to earn a way to heaven the law of Moses was put into effect so that you'd understand that you were damnable because you couldn't keep it so Jesus is saying you are thinking you're so righteous because you've kept the law of Moses when actuality you're going to go to hell because of the law of Moses because when you stand in comparison with the law you don't look at it and say wow look how righteous I am you stand and look at it and go wow I've broken every single one of these and I don't deserve to be in the very presence of God. The purpose is not to highlight righteousness but to defend but to reveal sinfulness. Deuteronomy 31:26. Take this book of the law and put it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God that it may, may be there as a be there that it may be there for a witness against you. So the, the law was there to be a witness against people. So when there's unconfessed sin in a person's life, God's not going to reveal Himself because you haven't dealt what he is with what He has actually already revealed. Sometimes people come and they want more, and they want more, and they want more. But Jesus says, verse 47, "...but since you do not believe what He wrote, how are you going to believe what I say?" Jesus is saying the reason that you're having a problem now is because you never believed what the Bible already prophesied about me and what was already said. And if you don't believe what God has already shown you in Scripture, then there's no way that you're going to continue to advance in your knowledge of Scripture or your love of God. Matthew 13, through 12, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, not even what he has will be taken away. If we don't act on what understanding we have, it's going to be taken away, which is one of the reasons I believe it is so dangerous to continue to place yourself in front of Scripture and not bow to Scripture. Um off script now off script there are times as a pastor the longer you're somewhere your, your heart will genuinely break um, past couple of weeks I, I, there's been a real burden on my heart I've been several places and I look around and I realize it is just unbelievable to me As well as this church is doing, how unchurched our area is. How unchurched. You go to go to a school and go watch a ball game. Where did that family go? Where's that family involved? Where does that kid go? They don't. It's not about competition between churches, they just don't. And then the other side that's really been breaking me lately is that as a pastor and as somebody who loves the Lord and loves the word. I desire for people that are under the teaching of the Word to obey the Word. And I really believe that there is... And again, I don't have any inside knowledge, and I'm not pretending to. But I cannot tell you, and there's some people that haunt me, and I would never call it, but there are people throughout my ministry that their names and their faces haunt me. And it's because I have... Seen the Lord get hold of their life, convict them, and bring them to the edge of the canyon. And yet, for whatever reason, their desires for the things of the flesh, their desire for the things of the world, they've been backed up from that. And I've seen the Lord sometimes with these same people be faithful several times to continue to bring them back. And I'm thinking about several specifically right now that now are so far in the far country that I have no idea whether or not they have been visited for the last time. You say, well, Larry, that's, that's not your responsibility. It's my responsibility to warn you that if you continue to ignore the Word, God is not continually obligated to convict you. He won't always bring you back to that point where your heart is soft and so if the Lord's moving on you, one of the reasons, not just in salvation, but in obedience to Him, listen, because the Lord is only going to give you what He is revealing to you now to see if you are going to be obedient to that, if you are going to be responsible in that. Why would the Lord continue to give us more when the piece of pie that He's given us, we haven't done anything with that? Jesus's point to these Pharisees was, When you think about that John the Baptist has testified about me, the miracles have testified about me, my father's testified about me, the scriptures have testified about me, and yet you've ignored all of it. There's going to be a lot of people. I think about the story of the the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus goes to heaven, and the rich man's there in hell, and he... He looks up at the Lord and he begs for Lazarus to dip the fin- tip of his finger in the water and to cool his tongue because of the torment and the fire. But after he tells him that there's a chasm that can't be separated, what does the rich man ask him to do? Will you send him to talk to my family? And what does the Lord say? Not even if the dead returned, they wouldn't listen. There is a necessity to be sensitive to the Spirit of God and the Word of God because you never know when that's visiting you whether or not that tenderness of heart is going to continue to be there. Friends, the Word of God is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the joints and to the marrow. We believe that the Word of God is God-breathed, that it is inspired, it is inerrant, it is infallible. And so because of that, we honor the Word. But we don't just honor the Word by the way we speak of it. We honor the Word by the way we listen and we obey. And so as we continue to study these words of Jesus, I want to tell you that, that there's a necessity in continuing to study the Word. We're going to finish this coming Sunday. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 20. We're going to look at the last of the, the story of, of Moses, as we're going to, the last of that series that we're studying together. And then beginning a week from Sunday, we're going to begin uh, about a 17-week series together. We're going to start in Colossians, and we are going to walk through the book of Colossians together. I want to tell you what you've helped me to do. Um, I want to give you all, I want to give you a, 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 before I pray for you, I want to applause you for your patience on something. Um, this has taken a long time. Um, but between now and Christmas, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. It's going to take us all the way up into December. In the 18 years that I've been able to be the pastor here, I said that one of my goals when I came here, I mean, first few weeks, that I want to preach through the Bible. I want to be at a place and I want to preach through the Bible. That's a goal I have. I'd like to do that same place. I'd like to die one day and somebody said, well, he preached through the whole Bible. When, if, if the Lord doesn't come back and he'll let me stay around till Christmas, we won't be through the whole Bible, but we will have collectively over the last 18 years have walked through every one of Paul's epistles. That's pretty incredible. Every one of Paul's epistles in, in that amount of time. Um, we've continually we walked through the Gospels. We've been through Mark. We've been through Luke, right? We've been through John. We're, we've been through Acts together. We've been through the book of Revelation. We're continually working through through the New Testament, um, the Old Testament. we got to... We, we got some big chunks. We got that we, we've got some some big chunks that y'all are going to have to ride with me. But I just want to tell you that preaching is a great joy. But preaching to people that love the word, man, it's incredible. And you're those people, and you love the word, and you love studying the word, and you love being obeying the word. And I'm proud of you for that. And you've been patient um, through. All of these series. You don't even roll your eyes anymore when I tell you we're going to be 17 weeks in the book of Colossians. Y'all are okay. Y'all have actually got a diet for that now, and I'm so thankful for that. So I love you, and I'm proud of you, and I'm excited, uh, looking forward to this Sunday. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we are thankful that it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and righteousness, so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. Lord, we're thankful that when we look at the Word of God, that, Lord, Your Word is a light and lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So, God, we pray that we may use it, that we might not sin against You. Lord, we love You, and all for this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.